Pink Midnight. Pink Midnight. Pink Midnight. Once upon a time, there was this girl, and she was all alone in her house at night. Everybody else had gone off somewhere. And there was this maniac at large, and it was dark, and there was a storm coming. But she wasn't afraid, because she had this large German Shepherd dog that slept underneath her bed, so she really didn't have to worry, even if it was dark. And she was all alone. That night, the storm began to rage. The shutters on the house began to slap the side. Clunk, clunk, clunk. She laid into bed listening to the night sounds and the storm rage. And for some reason, her skin began to crawl. The dog was sleeping under her bed, so she shouldn't have been afraid. But still, she reached under just to pet the dog for reassurance. And sure enough, couldn't understand it, but something kept telling her that something was wrong. It was almost like she knew a door was open somewhere or something like that. Anyway, she thought she ought to get up and go check, but she was too afraid to get out of bed. I mean, the dog was there for her protection, so she shouldn't have been afraid, but she was. The storm eased up after that, but she still couldn't relax. She'd reach down every five minutes to check if the dog was still there. And sure enough, the good old dog was there. And it licked her hand. And she felt better. But then she heard the stripping. Drip. 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 She kept wondering what it could be. The dog didn't seem upset, but she just couldn't stand that dripping. It sounded like it was in the bathroom. She couldn't stand it any longer. She jumped out of bed and she ran into the bathroom to shut it off and jump back into bed. She threw open the shower door and hanging from the nozzle was her dog. Its throat had been slit and blood dripped in large red droplets onto the clean white tile. But what was worse, what was written in blood on the bathroom mirror. It said, maniacs lick. A tiny moon struggles to emerge against the dying night. A zipper gets caught. They cannot wait. He tries, but motorcycles have minds of their own. The night may have ended, but a body is still traveling down the river the next morning. Inert, rigor mortis, stiff, stultified, still floating stiffly down the stream. You might try to jump on a merry-go-round, but when there's people on it and it doesn't stop for you, then you might chase it for hours, never really taking part in the fun, because the fun is always an illusion.
blurring before you, like a frame from a film removed, like a skipped frame, like a jumping frame, like a bouncing ball trailing with vapors. You might never reach the merry-go-round, and so you run away, a man-child with a conductor's hat and jeans pulled up too high. You run away, surrounded by the vapors of tears. Mrs. Sharp, she always loved a good country doctor, but after she said so many cliches, did the cliches cover her like a blanket at night? as the spider and its web stared down at her in hate? Did the cliches comfort her then? Did she find that old good country doctor she saw in a Norman Rockwell painting? Did she finally lay down her roots for a white picket fence and a red apple and a beautiful sunrise? Did she finally feel comforted by the quilt her generation and her grandmother's generation had been knitting together in unison for even more generations than are countable? Did she have a mustache when she passed by you? The Carneys questioned your manhood, so you all played whack-a-mole and other games, pinned the tail on the passing fancies, and then... You drifted away, back down the river, where the bodies still hadn't been found. And they were drifting more slowly now. You only wanted to put on your bandana, remove it from your upper thigh, relax, maybe talk to the fairies in the garden, maybe have a conversation with the wood nymphs, maybe the elves in the trees. But fate had other plans for you An arrow was shot in your back, and you ran, but you could not outrun the trickling of the blood. And just thought when you could die in peaceful agony, the carousel starts spinning. The horses start writhing up and down. You look in horror because you thought no one was around. You thought you were relaxing into the cold hands of death's stupor, but your eyes widen in alarm. Your bandana grows tighter around your furrowed brow. When there's nothing left to do but skinny dip after midnight, skinny dip through a swamp into a cool, ravenous place of ocean blues, through the lily pads, past the bubbles, and into a new awakening. That's how skinny dipping can lend the aura of gentleness to a night imbued with hushed laughter, beer bottles stroked and envied, and small darling communities kissing among the fireflies. And hence the title Death Screams comes about in near-perfect harmony as she floats along the river, the moonlight rippling on the waters, skinny dipping and 
at peace. And then the dead couple floats by. Maybe partners in her game, she wonders, but then she sees their cold cruelty cast upon them by the earthly mortal fate cast upon us all. They scream for Sandy. They hope she gets home all right. They're still a bit tipsy or a bit drugged or a bit in a fugue. But Sandy's drifting with the couple now on her own journey, joining them in the land of the dead, the land of the dead barely coasting and cascading off the river waters, barely rising, barely sleeping, barely dead, but dead nonetheless and bloody too. Maybe it was the raccoon that did it. He walked on his hind legs and strung you up while you were in the outhouse. There were mysterious drips. There were planes overhead. There were raindrops afraid of falling. There's a lot of random heads and body parts scattered here. I went and tried to find my boyfriend and I went in the car and his head fell right off. So I ran out screaming, someone else came looking for me. That was when he stumbled on a whole mess of body parts. He almost tripped over him. He starts screaming through the woods. There's really no killer in sight, but just everyone just keeps tripping over random body parts. And first thing you know, you're going to be, you know, trying to swim up the stream. And then there's going to be a whole slew of other body parts just tumbling down the waters. That's right. The hands keep on moving. The hands keep on crawling right after they're trapped off. He screams in agony, falls back into a grave, but his hands have a mind of their own and they're just crawling off and everything's fine for the hands and he's in agony and the hands have left him with that pain and the hands feel no pain at all. This is a movie blowing its own dust off the shelf, a movie so forgotten in the back of some video store that when some delinquent rented it expecting a slasher, he may have been a bit befuddled, a bit alarmed by the poetry and the nonsensical unity of this film. A friend tries to help another friend when they're climbing up from the basement, but he ends up pulling her in half. Bodies are quite flexible. Bodies float down rivers in this movie. Bodies fall apart like putty in this movie. All he really needed to do is just flick somebody's arm and it should fly right off. All he really need to do is stare at somebody and their eyeballs should fall right down, rolling on down the river with those other bodies that we saw years before they were discovered really but it could have just been a few days actually but in the mind of the dead a few days is years and so when the killer finally uh pounced forth finally revealed himself from some childhood trauma lily all she had to do was flick a little piece of glass and it stabbed right into the mouth and the heart of his throat the little body dancing around in his throat that was possessing him and that little piece of glass, all it took was a little flicker, a little flip. And the moment it hit his neck, he was out cold. It was uh, spreading wide and just falling apart. That's how the skin tumbles in this film. And the final girl in this one, she slits throats just like she was throwing some kind of ninja star. And then next thing you know, all she has to do is just outmaneuver the killer and he comes flying through the window. So this final girl isn't too tragic and doesn't suffer too much. All she really has to do is a flick of the wrist, 
some cross eyes, some wrong looks, and then finally, he's flying right through the window, charging toward his destiny. A destiny of angels throttled. And then the police officer shoots him at point-blank range, just to be sure. Just about maybe a few inches from his face, and it's like that scene in Scanners with the exploding head. Only this is just a mass coming apart, real groovy-like. And you never really know exactly when it will reconnect in some other form. Will it be reincarnated as a lizard or a butterfly? Or will it just keep on soaring? Maybe there's someone sick enough just to do that scene in slow motion. Maybe then they can see that the prosthetics or whatever it is, some kind of piece of wax, will just keep on slowly exploding. And then this is the end. The body parts are still floating. The music is still playing. Maybe they'll never be found. Maybe they'll never even sink. It's like they're cast in ghost makeup now and the lightning's sure pretty and the lightning will sure strike again, electrifying that water, calling them back home. They just want to soar, they just want to float. And so, yeah, anyway, if you want to pick up my latest book, just Venmo me $1 million. That's all I'm asking. I think it's a pretty modest price. Uh, my name again, Nicholas Patnod. That's Nicholas with a U stuck in there. I was named after Klaus Kinski. And the last name, well, you can look it up if you really want to bother with that kind of trouble. Thank you for tuning in to Pink Midnight. We hope you have enjoyed your stay in this haunted hotel, in this abandoned palace, in this opulent field of nowhere grass.